Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You guys kind of, you deal in this high octane energy fueled rock music and then what's, what's always struck me about your stuff is that your writings that there's very much a softer side to it too that kind of balances that you have the kind of quieter sections and you have the quieter parts of the songs that help to give it this variety which would you say comes more naturally to you as songwriters the quieter side or the more kind of rocky energy fueled stuff i think both to be honest like we both we like mark and i and also sam the guitarist who's sort of the other main songwriter we grew up playing in like a real riffy bluesy rock band. Mark Mark was the front man of that band. Just love was Jim Creek. Yeah. Done some research. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> it's still on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is still on Spotify. Yeah, so I mean I feel like we've got rock and roll in our bones from that. But um try to write pretty honestly and, and frankly about things that are happening in my life usually. So I think there's a sort of like a softer yeah, more kind of like delicate side to that other than just headbanging, screaming, you know? Did you start off as a, as a folky band too? Like I heard when this kind of started off, it was a little bit more in that direction. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, so the way, the way this kind of started was Sam, from playing in Lover's Jump Creek, Sam, Sam sort of heard me, heard me sing and just asked me to record on this song <clears throat> that he had written. Put the song out, put the song together, sort of sent it around to a few people and it got, it ended up in the hands of this um, company that was putting on, a touring company that was putting on this show around high schools in, in Queensland and New South Wales. They asked us to do this tour and it was just Sam and I and we had one song. They're like, can you send us a uh, video of your band playing and some of your songs? And we're like, fuck, we better, we better get to it and get those things together. So I, I had just been on this trip to Mexico, which was pretty epic. I sort of chased, chased a lady across the world to Mexico to confess my undying love and got stuck in a, um, in a hotel on the way back. I bought this guitar. It was when all of those um, hurricanes and stuff, you got stuck somewhere too, Mark. So when all those um, hurricanes were happening mm. in, in North America. Yeah. So I got stuck for a few days in this hotel, wrote a, wrote a bunch of songs and got back and recorded them with Sam and got a band together really quickly. And then, yeah, we sort of just, we put this, put this band together, put these songs together and just kind of toured it. So I think the folky sort of influence came from ju- that, just having that acoustic guitar. And yeah, we kind of filled it out with just like stomps and claps and recorded it in this little dingy warehouse that we used to rehearse in. I guess the, the sound of the band has changed quite significantly since then we don't even we had we don't have that up online anymore were those songs that you wrote in the hotel were they kind of directly related to the experience of chasing someone halfway across the world yeah they were <laughs> do you care to elaborate <laughs> 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 <It's> like, 
Um, yeah, they were. They were like they were about sort of you know heart heartbreak and being a young idiot. <laughs> it's a very kind of Jack Kerouac artist thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've always written. This is as as a an observer of you as well as being a member of your band. You've always written um, songs that are very expository. You, you're very you're very frank and very sincere when you're writing songs to to the I think to the to the service of the song and often at the detriment of when you have to talk about the content of them because it you know in many cases are things that are necessarily fraught and and challenging for you to like talk about I think that may, maybe that informs how you actually lyricize is that things that are hard to talk about are a lot easier to put to melody I don't know that's that's my observation as being around you I think I've been noticing that a lot more recently as well like with all of the time off not playing our first sort of gig back after after the first lockdowns at like the end of last year it was like because we've been a band that's toured a lot and played a lot and you sort of like lose you know lose sensitivity to what the songs are about and sort of disconnect from the from the lyrical content i guess and just perform but yeah uh, the last that in december those gigs like it was so, it felt so raw and overwhelming doing those songs again after so long and kind of reconnecting with the meaning of them. You were playing a couple of shows last week as well, right? Like we did, Sydney, yeah. Sydney, Melbourne. Yeah, Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle and, and Ballarat, which again, yeah, it had been a really long time. It was really, it was really wonderful to play again. It's actually the um, last, the last show that we played was in Newcastle and the, the girl who, it was in Mexico, came, this is like a, a, a very long time ago, this relationship ended, but she came to the, came to the show and that was like another experience reliving those, those songs. Did you know she was going to be there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, okay. Not like a La La Land moment when someone kind of walks in at the end and you're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> everything goes into slow no, no, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that'd have been terribly confusing. Are you still on the, the stand-up drum kit live? Yes. Yeah, we're still still doing the split up drum kit stuff. I think it's like I just think it's the funnest way to to play. You know, I don't I don't want to sit down and get to sort of dance about and have a good time. That must knock you though. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> it's exhausting. We were we were talking about this cuz Sam Sam plays the kick drum. He's a guitarist. So he plays the kick drum, plays guitar, does a lot of harmonies as well. Like, he has a really sort of, like, centralized workout when we play. Like, he just has his right foot just stomping on that, on that, on that kick all night. So, it's like, you know, it's very, very localized to the one area. So, when, whenever we play a gig, like, he gets a really sore calf and that's his, like, that's <laughs> his workout. I feel like I'm a little bit lucky because it's sort of spread out, you know? It's like there's some... Uh, a bit of an arm workout and it's also like cardio because I'm singing and dancing around and stuff. At least it's not, you know, centralized to one super painful area. <laughs> it's like generally challenging for you physically, but for him it's it's very grueling. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> like torture <laughs> yeah, to him. <laughs> yeah, torture is another way. Do you find that impacts your songwriting? Do you think about that during the writing process? Yeah, I think it definitely did when we first started. We did have a drummer when we first started the band and whilst we were trying to find a replacement, we sort of figured out how to play the songs without, without an actual drummer anyway. So, we just kept doing that. And I think when we first started doing it, it did really impact writing just in the, in the drum parts that we were writing. Mostly just, I think we try to keep it pretty simple, like lots of fall to the floor kick, um, nothing that would sort of like uh, detract too much from any of the other parts just to keep it a little bit easier for ourselves. but. As we've gotten used to it, we just write as as we as we like, basically, and then we learn learn the parts as we go. Can make it really difficult, but it's also it's just you know it's another thing. It's just another fun little challenge to to overcome. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, like season which you released last month, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's kind of got the drums. It's, I like you say that you've got, you've got the floor to the floor, and that the drums kind of pulsate the whole way through it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Until yeah, until that that very end part where it sort of opens up a little bit. But yeah, that's that's mostly electronic as well. So we get we get to be a bit lazy in that one. We don't get we don't play as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun with with you and Sam playing two to three 
instruments essentially each and occasionally you know i play bass and then there'll be like a harmony or something and i'll be like oh geez jazz i don't think i can i don't think i can play that rhythm while singing that harmony i think those two rhythms they're just like they don't work in my brain and he just kind of looks at me like you fucking kidding me like you can do it (laughs) how does it function for you as well when you're because you're based all over australia right like you all kind of tend to live in different cities yeah yeah. How does that work creatively? Do, do you tend to kind of all work on it individually? And then when do you get together and kind of have that space to work on it as a group? Most, mostly in the last few years, the, the songwriting's been like uh, pretty individual. So the, we've been working on an album for a couple of years and that's mostly, mostly my material. And then Sam's been working really hard on um, some, basically a new album he's got ready to go, which we'll record in a couple of months. Um. So it's been just a matter of sort of writing, um, getting together, learning the songs, um, and then doing it that way. Yeah, beginning of 2019, we started recording this album. So we we organized like a, um, we hired out a little farm and got together there and sort of fleshed out all all of the parts together. So it wasn't just Sam and I, we did it all together. And yeah, we spent, we've we've spent so long playing together that I think we really just kind of get, get get each other as musicians as well like i think when i'm i'm writing stuff i'm not just like i'm thinking about cron and isaac and mark and the parts that they that they would play and you know harmonies that they would be comfortable singing so i think it's sort of like it's gone from a band that was we would we would write everything together in the same room and really flesh stuff out together it's gone from that to more individual but like i think there is still you know, there, there's still the thought of including everyone, even though they're not involved in a certain way. Yeah, because you put that groundwork in initially, it means you're able to do it a little bit more remotely now. Yeah, yeah. And then when we tour, it's sort of just a matter of getting together for a rehearsal or two beforehand and then do the shows and it's, it's good. It's good to go. Do you feel a part of any musical community as a band then if you're all kind of spread out in various different places across the country? Yeah, you know what? Funnily enough, I actually feel more part of some, I don't know, some sense of musical community because of our sort of disparate locations because, you know, everyone, wherever you live, you sort of develop your own little network of people and friends and, and you know, musicians when, you, when you're playing in bands. So, it's, it's really cool for me to be living in in Melbourne where I have my own sort of little community of people and I feel like I'm, you know, at home and then going to New South Wales where, you know, everyone, you know, Sam and Cron and Isaac have their own sort of community and I get, it's, it's so like, so welcoming when, when you're, it's almost like that, oh, it's all right, he, you know, I'm about, he's, he's with me sort of thing. So, it, I do actually feel like it's been in, in many ways really, really a nice experience, you know, the being able to go between cities and still feel kind of at home because you it's like visiting a friend with, you know, in their family home. Mum and dad aren't upset that, that you've brought a friend home. They're just psyched to, you know, wrap you up in a big warm hug, you know? You've got bases everywhere. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice. That farm you mentioned as well where you recorded, whereabout was that? It was a place called Picolben. It's just outside Newcastle. And is this where you turn like the barn into a recording space? Yeah. Yeah, it was just a little Airbnb. I'm looking at a photo of it now, actually. I've got it on my, um, on my desk on top of my speaker. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just like a little Airbnb on this property and, yeah, just outside of Newcastle. We could just make as much noise as we wanted to for the week. It was cool in a lot of respects f- for that reason. It was also just cool for us to be spending a week plus together, just hanging out together as a band. Yeah. One thing I'm sure you remember, Jazz, is that... Um, as we were recording drums and guitars and stuff, no problem. But then when we were recording vocals, occasionally um, we'd have to stop because there was a rooster that would walk under the house and start <laughs> crowing. And so, you'd hear this rooster in the, in, in the background of all the vocal takes. <laughs> you need to get him on the record, feature That's him on right. there somewhere. <laughs> we actually, he's, we own a bunch of royalties. He's definitely in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> How hot was that bar? And when were you recording? I can't ima- imagine oh, Australia. That must have been pretty crazy. So hot, man. It was January. Jan- yeah. it was January. <laughs> That's summer for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was stinking hot, but good time. Sam and Mark are coming up to the island in a, in a couple of, uh, pending, 
pending Victoria opening coming up to the island in a few weeks to start start recording again. So we'll do a similar vibe, I think. Just find a space and kind of convert it a little bit. Yeah, well, I've got I've got a space in in my house, luckily, so we can just do it here. So season we kind of mentioned that earlier. Is that the f- fifth single off the debut record that came from those sessions in the barn? Yeah, it is. It is. We I don't think we ever intended on releasing five singles before putting an album out, but COVID, so <laughs> so we did. But it's it's nearly there. So what are the five? We got season hold choke. Tessellate, Forever My Love, and Villain. Very good, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed. I'm also glad because I'm not sure that I would have been able to name them. (laughs) It's interesting because if we look at your EPs, the two EPs that you put out initially, there's always a clear thread kind of linking all the songs in them. Like on Deficiency, every song is about something you're without, something you're lacking. On Limbo, there's this thread of uncertainty kind of being looked at in all the songs. Is there a similar thing at the heart of this album? Is there a thread that you can trace linking all of the tracks on it? Not so much lyrically, I don't think. I think because all of these songs are written at such different points in time. Yeah, they don't. They maybe don't have a, a common theme running through them. But um, we approached this album with like a 70s horror theme in mind. We've sort of been approaching most of the releases like that, like trying to trying to create the soundscape of what a 70s horror film would kind of sound like and trying to trying to um yeah bend the art to sort of look like that as well yeah so there's lots of kind of um we, we went re- we try to go really 70s especially with all the drum sounds so lots of sort of you know like um fat flat snares and yeah quite a quite a bit of dissonance in the arrangement to reflect that as well i think yeah i think i think lyrically like a lot of the songs are about sort of loss or despair or, you know, over the, over the last few years, I haven't had the best time in my brain. So a lot of it's sort of about suffering with poor mental health and things like that. Is that what kind of drew you to the, the horror soundscape? Did that feel like a reflection of some of the things that you were feeling? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. I think Sam and I were just kind of brainstorming like what everything sort of sounded like, where it, where it fit. So we could try and, um, try and just angle everything like visually as well into the same sort of box just to, ca- um, yeah, just to have a, have a bit of a target. Cause I think sometimes with our music, it doesn't, it's hard to sort of pinpoint genre wise where it, where it sits. So it's nice. It's nice to have some sort of abstract target to shoot when you know sonically, maybe, maybe, um, maybe the songs are a bit sort of all over the joint. Kind of following on with that horror idea as well. I think is it villain that you kind of have the samples from old films on? I think I maybe I don't ever heard Vincent Price or I don't know if it's Vincent Price. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, old. It's that old, kind of voice. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some horror stuff on there. When you said as well that you wanted to recreate, or you wanted to, not recreate, but go for that kind of 70s feeling, like the drum sounds and stuff, did you look back and kind of investigate how they achieved that sound at the time, or how did you kind of go about doing that? Yeah, we did. We sort of looked into, I guess, like tunings, tuning, so everything sort of tuned pretty low. We kind of smashed everything through through some preamps to get that grit. Use the, the papers on the on the toms yeah papers on the toms think we same thing with the toms like uh, messed around with like taking resonant skins off and same deal like cranking them through through preamps what about for you on the on the bass as well mark what were you kind of looking to go for tone wise Uh, so much so much of um what what the bass recording process for for me has been like is is more about preserving the integrity of the sound of it so that it's a, a reasonably clean palette for Sam once he starts mixing it. Because we're, we're playing with, around with so many sounds while we're recording the drums and, and, and all those other things. And, and, and the bass is typically pretty early in the piece to put down that sometimes we haven't really nailed down exactly what the aesthetic is. So it's, it's less about, in my experience, with, with Bad Pony particularly, trying to um, pursue a certain tone in the room as it is okay how do i give how do i give sam the the best launch launching platform to mix from it's like i'd i'd, I'd it's it's about giving him everything that he can play with 
rather than taking things away and having to, to make him mix it kind of against the bass sound, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're writing very much writing for the song. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's often what they say, isn't it? That the bassist has the most perspective on it because you're the one who very much has to kind of, you're coming in towards the end and writing for the song and finding something that can kind of slot in and have the most impact as a part of the song, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and, and I think that the, 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 the key thing is having the impact without the impact being evident. You know, like the, if, you, if, you're, if you're noticing what the bass is doing, there's a very real risk that it's not actually in service of the song. Well, if you took it out, you would oh, know. absolutely, yeah, of course, yeah. Because yeah, you that's lose the thing, that momentum yeah. and that drive to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, this, it's this weird dichotomy of got to be right to fit, got to be good enough that it's, you know, a, fo- uh, a, a feature without actually being a feature. However, <laughs> <laughs> forever my love. That is the, the obvious exception <laughs> at the moment. But forever my love, there's, that the, is the a chorus has a, 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 a very, what I would call an obnoxious bass part. And it was basically, so there's, there's, a, there's a, a really sort of riffy bass part that goes over throughout the whole thing. And I don't know if you recall, Jared, it was literally, we were coming back in from lunch and um, we were thinking, oh, we've got to do something to this chorus to give it some lift. Picked up the bass and was, I was actually having a joke. I was like, oh, what if I did this? And Sam, in his internal wisdom, was like, no, I think that's the part. And I was like, firstly, awesome. That's, that's great for me. That makes me feel good <laughs> that I've written a, a part that's, you know, taking the attention of the group. And the second part of me was like, I'm going to have to learn to play this live and I can barely play it now. <laughs> I do remember that. I also remember you wearing your John Farnham Take the Pressure Down t-shirt, <laughs> which I love. Probably gave me the strength. Do you know who John Farnham is, Alex? I Has don't. he travelled across the John seas? John Farnham. Far- Farnham. Farnham. No. Yeah, he's like, he's, an, he's a national treasure. What's he famed for? Take the Pressure Down. <laughs> he was, he's, he's, a, he's an Australian pop star from like 80s late 70s, late 70s 80s, 80s yeah. yeah very 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 big power ballady sort of you might have you might have heard his songs in like yeah the voice yeah the voice yeah, in, in movies and stuff <laughs> but very just mullet heavy pop and I, I he has a very special place in my heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's like cock rock pop it's like cock, cock pop, pop. <laughs> <laughs> What movies is this stuff wonderful, in? What movies might I have heard it? Do you know um, oh, what's the one that Andy Samberg's early one? Um, Hot Rod. Hot Rod. Yeah, you remember, there's a scene yeah, where they're yeah, all the yeah, shit, and they all just start with singing. the bagpipes. Yeah. That's um, that's 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 Johnny Farnham. <laughs> I'm gonna need to go the, back and check it out. Biggest yeah. chip. It's quite stern. That's yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> to come back to Forever My Love, though, that was the first time you worked with an outside producer as well, right? Yeah, it was. It was. So we worked with Stephen Tram on both, um, both Forever My Love and Tessellate. What fueled that decision to kind of bring a producer in at this point in the band's trajectory when you had been self-producing for so long? We had a few sessions with a, with a record label. They, they set us up with some producers just to see kind of what would happen. Um, and we had, we had management that really pushed us. They really wanted us to, to enlist the help of, of some producers. I really like, I think we all are really big fans of what Stephen Schramm does. And he's worked with some friends, friend, like quite a few friends of ours, like Halcyon Drive and Wolves. What, who else has he done, Marky? Uh, in terms of like friends, a Paul, of Kelly like, yeah, album. Paul Kelly, he did, he's done um, San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah, he's done some, some really yeah. I know San Francisco. Yeah. 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 So some really great bands and really great sounds, really great mixes. So yeah, I think we were just really interested to see what he could bring to the mix because. You know, Sam's, Sam's like complete, as brilliant as he is, is completely self-taught. I feel like he, he goes through sort of state, he goes through stages of being um, really confident and then some stages of being maybe not, conf- not unconfident, but- A little bit of self-doubt. Yeah, a little bit of self-doubt. You need a bit of self-doubt. I think so, for sure. And it was a really cool experience, you know, working, working with someone else um, and getting, getting a different set of ears. On the songs, I think that's always good. I reckon that's pretty key. The I think that one of the th- things that was really appealing to to me was there's five of us and we've been playing music together for so long that sometimes you don't know ha- how many ideas sound good because they sound good to us versus 
are they a good idea? So it was like bringing a, a fresh set and, a, and a, t- a tiebreaker in some cases was an exciting prospect to me. Yeah. So like how are you supposed to know what sounds good if you if you if it's just if you're in a in your own world if you're in your own box? So yeah, I feel like we learned a lot from that experience. It was really cool. Yeah, I mean, you, you said that it gave you like a fresh perspective on the songs. Did it give you a fresh perspective on your own process as well and the way that you go about working as a group? I think so. I think that um, as a, maybe not not a, 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 as as much of a driving songwriter as say um, Jazz and Sam are. I think it was a actually throughout that whole process, not just with Steve Schramm, but with some of the other producers. It was it was nice a nice experience to come back and and. I don't know, get a little bit more sort of wind under my wings and be like, oh, I've got ideas. I, 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 I can't, I, you know, it is good to bring them to the forefront and, you know, to say, oh, what if we did this? What if we did that? It's, it's really easy when, when you've got songwriters like, like Jazz and Sam who, who write really great stuff and, and, and come to the table with stuff that they've thought about for a long time. There's a little part of you that's like, oh, I've just thought of this now. You've, you've thought about this more than I have. So having someone go, no, like even if it came came to you right now, that's awesome. Let's let's put it to the floor. I think that was probably a healthy thing for just the the jambalaya of ideas, you know, just empowering like doesn't matter. Creativity. Yeah, the create it is. It's it's the full on creativity and you know, sometimes you don't have to have spent four days thinking about it. It could just come to you in the moment and it's just as yeah. as powerful in if it's in the service of the song. Not that that was ever discouraged necessarily within the um the structure of the band, but it's very easy to fall into a you know, a rhythm where it's like, Okay, well there's the song and they've written it and we, we just play it as it is, you know. Yeah. You don't really get the opportunity when, you know, we're writing the way that we do now as well to there's only creativity within one one human mm. rather than a whole bunch. Yeah. I do miss doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't get to jam in the room. Yeah. It's also good having someone run that session. So, like, having the five of us together and it sort of just removes all of the responsibility of the decision-making to someone else as well. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was so good. <laughs> like a referee. Yeah, exactly. Like a preschool teacher, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Shram's approach to um, to production was, like, awesome and i may be quite similar to our approach as well like the grosser the better in in a in a way like we'd put some really gross shit in there like the the drums in forever my love are just like smashed to absolute shit remember the guitar tones are like Mm. really really grating and but it like it fucking works. there was a lot of like oh that's ridiculous we can't do that and then like yeah why like yeah, no, you're right. It sounds good, <laughs> you know? That's when you know you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when, it, when it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> when you were working on those songs with Steve, did you know they were going to be for the record? Yeah, we did. We did. We had, we had demoed them at the, um, at the farm, and then we redid those. I remember choosing, we chose Tessellate because we couldn't quite get it sounding, mm. sounding the way that we wanted to, wanted to um, get it to sound ourselves. It sort of wasn't, wasn't, big enough wasn't raucous enough and then steven chose forever my love yeah just because i think he chose it because it sort of stood out a little bit it was it was much more electronic and sort of poppy um than the rest of the than the rest of them one really cool thing about those sessions in terms of like i guess you're always trying to learn as a musician and as a band like oh what are like the tools in your tool belt there was one thing that that Steve did during that session with, with both of those two tunes that I think was like such a revelation to me. And, and I, 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 I think a revelation to all of us was he was drawing these really like weird links between the songs and like a good reference track. So like for, for Tessellate, for example, we were like, Oh, here's this tune where it's a bit of a problem child. We, we think there's something in there. We don't really know how to kind of, get it right and he was like oh this is cool and he showed it and he listened and he was like oh this is like walk like an egyptian and we were like what (laughs) what are you talking about and he was like no here and he he just you know listen it's this and this and it's this structure and this and that and he was like it's just what you know it's hook after hook after hook you know so look at that and and draw reference from that you know obviously don't try and make it walk like an egyptian but like think about the tools they've used and apply it to your song and it was that was a huge revelation for me i think that's a really cool thing to do because when it's when it's a song that's so sonically different 
and has all these other weird, strange linking elements. It's like you, you also just can make. You can make the fucking punky song walk like an Egyptian because walk like an Egyptian is nothing like that. Yeah, it's about taking those ideas into your soundscape as a band and once you blend them with your personality, it's not going to sound anything like it. Exactly, yeah. How do you come upon a word like Tessellate? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, I wasn't familiar. I don't know, maybe that it was like quite a, a kind of obscure word to me. It's not one that, I've, maybe it's more so in Australia, but it doesn't feel like a word that's very much in the kind of natural language if that makes sense it's not a word you would hear someone using on the street i don't know i think i i had thought about the content of that of that song for quite a while i've written it's about a, a friend of mine i had when i was um when i was growing up in high school he sort of he got he got he got really into into drugs and um the songs about he tried he tried to hang himself and he he called me up when he when he tried to do that the song's about that thought about it a lot and have written about it a lot and it seems really sad to me that he doesn't fit you know he doesn't fit into society because of you know all of the choices that he made when he was when he was a youngin because i've thought about it a lot and tried to put it into words i think tessellate was something that really stuck out to me because yeah because of the tragedy of him not being able to be an adult anymore does the song arrive quicker when you've already run it through your mind so much run those ideas through your mind so much i think so man that that was one of those songs that just kind of poured out i don't even i don't think i like stopped to think about anything it was just kind of it was just kind of there yeah is it different as well approaching a memory that's from further back as opposed to writing about something when you're in the moment when you're pulling when you're approaching something that comes from a little bit more in your past how does that kind of differ in the approach? I think maybe it depends on the severity of the situation. Like, you know, writing, if for example, writing about, writing about that. I think because I was so, so young and I hadn't had a lot of life experience yet, those, those things seem so intense, you know, and I mean, it, it is pretty intense, but like when, when you're younger, you, you feel things a lot more intensely than you do as you, you know, you, you get used to you know negative feelings trauma or whatever it may be thinking back on those really on those initial things that that happened when i was young like i think it's pretty easy to tap back into that tap back into that intense feeling that sort of raw feeling just because i was so young it was the first time i was feeling that kind of stuff like yeah if i was writing about something that happened a couple of years ago nothing that sort of you know super intense has happened in the last couple of years so yeah i don't think i'd be able to tap into it as much but in saying that i i find writing like such a a good release of emotion and it's a really good way to like just process process things and like wrap my head around whatever's whatever's going on so is it an immediate release? Do you feel the weight kind of being taken off your shoulders as you're writing it? I do. I do, yeah. Yeah, I think just putting sort of pen to paper and getting, articulating the feelings is really, really helpful. But I don't, I don't think it's a complete release. I think that's the, that's the like, the hard thing about, about writing, writing songs that are so close emotionally is like, you do have to relive it. And may, may, it doesn't happen every time you play. It, it, it's sort. Of, I think it's sort of actually rarely kind of happened over the years until until quite recently. But do tend to relive at least some of the emotion. It's not so. It's not so intense all the time. But you know, you'll have nights where you'll be in. You know, you'll be on fire, and then one song comes along and it sort of rocks you a little bit, just out of nowhere. How do you handle that in the moment when it catches you by surprise like that if you're not anticipating it? Honestly, I think it's a good thing. Like if you're sh- if you're sh- if you're shut off to that to that emotion, like what's what's the point? If you like if if I don't if I don't mean what I've written, if I'm not feeling it, like why should any why should anyone else listen? You know what I mean? But then it's also you it would be damaging though to relive those emotions every night on stage. It would be every night. It would be every night for sure, but I don't it's not every night. It's definitely not every night. I think the those shows that we played in December it, the, those that yeah, that sh- those shows really hit me for some reason. It was kind of fine during during the shows. I still had like a really good time. It's it feels really good to connect with the songs. 
So I think that's good. It's just afterwards it can be a bit, bit raw. Need lots of cuddles from all my friends. <laughs> it's like you've tapped into this this like network of generally negative feelings when it comes to bad pony songs. Yeah. And in, in order to share that, and then it's like, okay, show's over. I'm just being a person now. What, what, a, what yeah. a weird It transition. hasn't always been like that either, though. I think, like, really in the last sort of year and a half or whatever, especially being on this island and alone and doing, doing lots of, you know, work on myself and being removed from music and removed from friends, you know, I think that I'm a lot more emotionally open which also means i'm a lot more emotionally sensitive so i think it's a relatively relatively new thing that i'm still kind of navigating it'll be interesting to see if those times when you're brought back to it come more regularly after this now that you're a little bit more open yeah i once touring's back in full yeah it will be interesting (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we were talking there though about how it can be an immediate release and you can feel that weight being taken off your shoulders when you're tapping into an older experience that you need to get out. How does that function for something like Hold Choke when you're very much in that self-destructive headspace when you're writing it? I don't know. <laughs> like I, th- I think being being in that headspace is, is damaging to, 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 to everything. I, I, I remember writing that song and feeling like just not very attached to the lyrics i know they're like they're very very dark but they were sort of just a bit of a reflection of the headspace i was in at the moment at that at that point in time sorry so i think i think when it gets really bad it's not really much of a it's not as much of as a release it's more just a a representation of the of my headspace i think do you know you're in that headspace when you're writing it or is that only something you realize afterwards and you kind of look back and realize oh i wasn't in a very positive place at that point in my life think both man i think that i i um especially then i think i realized it but maybe didn't care and also didn't realize the severity of it is that where the kind of screamier parts of that song come from as well you know the da 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 where you're kind of just having this release was that very much tapping into that place i wish i could say yes but i wrote that as a guitar part and sam screamed it (laughs) (laughs) He's a screamy boy. Can you write in any state of mind? Um, I tend, I actually tend not to write as much when I'm doing really well, which is hilarious. So we're actively plotting against him in the band. <laughs> <laughs> what about for you as well, Mark? When you're coming up with parts, can you be in any frame of mind to write them or do you have to feel like you're in a specific place? Uh, I mean, I think particularly in Bad Pony, so much of, you know, my my con- contribution is, is, is reactive to... Um, to ideas that are already kind of percolating, that it it it's it's less of a um, less of an emotional experience to me, and it's more of a technical experience. I'm like, okay, what's what are we doing musically here? How can I support that? How can I play around within that? Does this need more from me? Does this need less from me? What I can say is, as as someone who's heavily invested in you know the well being of 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 jazz and as as probably my best friend in the world it's really it's really weird to be in a rehearsal room for him to come in and bring a song that is amazing born of a really challenging place so you're fighting these two instincts one is like what an amazing song and there's the other instinct that's like oh my goodness my my friend is experiencing this horrible pain so it's this really weird bittersweet I, I mean, it's mostly bitter. You know, the, the, main, the main thing is it sucks that my friend is, is suffering. But if you didn't have the band, it would just be better. The band is what brings the sweetness to it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. At least there's, at least there's some sweet to it. And at least there's a, a, a safe place to explore some things that maybe, you know, and I, can't, I, can't, I can't speak for you, Jared, but, you know, some, some things that are maybe hard to verbalize directly, you know, you can explore lyrically in a safe way yeah yeah it is it's pretty incredible how safe the bad pony space is yeah i feel like we're we're incredibly supportive and open open bunch of humans i think we're we're all very very lucky to to have each other even though we're not you know next door to each other anymore um yeah i think either any any one of us is you know just a phone a phone call away at any any point in time which is really lovely no no not all bands 
get that. I think like writing, writing music and make playing music with people is an incredibly, incredibly intimate thing to do. So I think it's, it's easy to sort of establish really strong and um, connected and open relationships with people when you're, when you're doing that. Mark, do you remember when Jared brought whole choke into the practice space what were you kind of thinking at that point what were your first thoughts uh you know what funnily enough like it didn't strike me as a particularly dark song so far as they go i feel like you know there's we've 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 been playing music together for so long in bad pony and other things that i've sort of seen a, a huge spectrum of of energy in in this in the songs and whole choke maybe i was tricked a little bit by the uh the hum the harmony the, the harmonic content the the way that the chords are moving around it it is it is a classic thing that Jared does which is combine a really heavy theme with bops joyous <laughs> chords yeah it's 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 it's, it's, these, it's these it's this fun sounding thing musically that's exploring this really you know dark theme so yeah when when he brought it to the table my thought was like oh this this might be a real banger the the actual depth of it was not that apparent to me at the time. Why did it become apparent? Oh, gee, I mean, not I mean, not for a very long time. Not probably not till after it was released, and it was in 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 conversations with Jared and 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 with other people, sort of pertinent to the song. That I was like, oh wow, like I see, I actually see, I see the the real themes that are that you're you're playing within here and i was like then the heaviness hit me i was like oh I s- oh fuck now i get it. i remember i was sitting on my couch i can i can picture it i was sitting there it was like a sunday afternoon and it just hit me and i was like oh i get it and it was like that's so clever then i was like oh that sucks <laughs> <laughs> It's not like we don't talk about these things outside. No, of- we do. No, absolutely. But we talked about these things, but I didn't connect all those things together. I didn't. Well, I didn't yeah, connect them yeah. to whole choke until that particular time, and I was like, "Oh fuck, dude!" Because the thing we'll talk. We will talk about every like as as people. We talk about anything. There's but and and then musically we talk about anything. But to make that direct connection, like, oh, by the way, this was about that. It's like. That almost seems a little ham-fisted. <laughs> Do you think if you come to that understanding earlier of what the song was discussing, you would have written a slightly different part for it in any way? Would it have impacted that approach? Ah, uh, gee, I mean, that song in particular is really one where you know the 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 bass is not is not really nece- it's it's not a hook instrument in that particular tune. It's very much um, there to support what's going on. So I think that that that's a situation where if I if I sort of tried to elbow in my influence or elbow in, oh no, it needs to be like this to enhance this or that, we might have taken steps backwards in terms of the actual the song itself. You know, it's I think the beauty of that tune for me is is it is in its relentlessness. It's very straightforward. Whilst there's you know the the hooks are being carried by you know. Your, your frontline instruments, your guitars and your vocal and your, and your gang vocal. So if I started trying to play slightly more intricate parts, I think that it would actually distract from the, I know, I think about that song as like a, like a bike pedal. It's just kind of going, going and going and going and going and going. And if it's, if you're, if you're pumping this bike pedal and then someone just rings the bell, it's like, well, yeah, I get it, but that's kind of not really necessary right now. It sounds like what you're saying is you just need to tap into the simplicity of the emotion of it rather than the complexity behind that emotion. I think so. Well, yeah, in order to, I mean, it's, it'd be like trying to write a sincere love note on tie-dye paper. You know, the sincerity is in the content. You don't need to flash it up with extra. <laughs> with the fucking excessive metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Video for that as well. It's Rotoscope, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, long-time collaborator friend, Rick. Yeah, he, he was the complete brains behind that. I didn't even know what Rotoscope was until he done did it. <laughs> Do you still teach clay animation? 
<laughs> Where are you getting this from? I do uh, uh, some somewhat. I'll, um, I sort of I do it every now and then. Um, I actually got the job from Mark. Wait, so Mark also teaches class? That's right. <laughs> I got him into the game. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't know how I came across the job, but I was doing it for a period of time, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I was, was moving on to some, something else. And Steve, who is the biggest legend, who um, who was kind of the you know the dude running it, was like, "Do you know anyone?" And I was like, "Who are my most like perfect suited friends for this?" And I thought of jazz immediately, and um, hanging out and playing, making shit with kids all day. Yes, please. Why did you think Jared was perfectly suited to be a clear animator? You know, there's this thing that you learn, like, well, that, that you against your will learn growing up that like at a certain point it's like uncool to be like excited and enthusiastic which is exactly what like doing workshops with kids calls for you need to be like embracing the fact that it's kind of fun to be excited and it's cool to be like enthusiastic about stuff and and jared is one of the few you know grown-up blokes that i know that will embrace you know euphoria and i was like that who who could be better suited for teaching kids how to make clay animation than someone that is just genuinely excited about doing it i feel like that is the highest compliment coming from the most excited lovable wonderful (laughs) labrador of a human (laughs) (laughs) thanks mark Oh, you're very what do you what do you both do now then if you don't teach clay animation i teach a bit of music online and I am pouring beers at the local RSL on on Russell Island. Uh, and I do I do acoustics. So the 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 dream was to design recording studios, which I do. I've you know I've done a handful of, but unfortunately, there's not that many studios being built. So yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of quarry noise and and um, things of that <laughs> like, <laughs> which uh, you know they're uh, inspiring in their own way. I imagine that comes in handy though when you have to turn a farmhouse into a makeshift studio space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that well, this is the thing. I always, I always look back on you know the last year, two years, and like, oh, I wish I'd known that then. This wish I'd known that then. It's definitely something that um, I'm really glad that I know. It's it's made me a far better musician, I think, because you know thinking about instead of just, I mean, as I sort of said, playing the most thing that's the most interesting to me. What am I actually trying to do in terms of the whole soundscape of the music, in terms of frequency, and you know, when it comes to all the little home studios that we record in, you know, how can we best use the space, and what's going to work, what's not going to work? It's definitely been a time saver, I think, on that front. Are you quite a practical person? Are you quite a practical thinker? Ah, uh, yes and no. Can sometimes get a little bit. Um, you know, down in the weeds of like, oh, but this reflection might go like that. And then if we scatter it in this way and it's like, well, realistically, does it sound good? It's like, yeah, well, then turn your brain off. Yeah, I, you are pra- I think you are quite practical, Mark. You're practical and intelligent, yet creative. This is my best day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think it's a bit, a, a bit criminal that we haven't done a, a clay animation clip to be honest i know imagine i know we we both understand the time the time commitment that that would involve in however, if we start now in two to three years yeah. we could have a really yeah. banging clip we, we could have a 20 <laughs> second, second clip, clip. <laughs> <laughs> are you a clay animation uh, advocate alex i enjoyed did you see the psychedelic porn crumpets videos they did on the last record no i didn't they did clay animation ones and they told the story oh, shit. over three videos kind of set in this magical fantasy world with this Alice in Wonderland type character and a bounty hunter and people killing chocolates and cookies and stuff. <laughs> it was all rather crazy, but it was great. That sounds wonderful. We've got Wallace and Grum over here as well. That's yeah. quite a big oh, thing. Yeah, here. Wallace and Grum, was, yeah. that was a heavy influence of our um, or of my uh, classroom teaching, I think. Jared, would, would, would mm. you say the same? Also, I would absolutely say the same. Yeah. You need to, what you should do, you should do a clay animation video. Because you've done rotoscope, do clay animation, just work your way through all the different animation styles, <laughs> video by video. I think we could do it. Rick, um, <laughs> Rick studied animation, I found out the other day. Could we do an anime one where we all, we all do like 
cool fight scenes. That's that would be really cool. What would be your what would be your like secret move, Mark? My secret move would be like just looking at you in a way that makes you feel so bad <laughs> to be fighting at all that you um, give up the fight. <laughs> we started. We kind of started off this chat by talking a little bit about touring, and I, you know, you played a couple of shows a week ago. I feel like it would be fitting to come full circle and wrap this up on a memory from touring. Because you were side stage at Royal Blood at Splendor on the Grass, and you turn your head and who do you see? Hang on. Is this, a, is this a making up a memory or is this a real memory? This is a real memory that I've heard you talk about. Ah, shit. I think maybe this is Sam's memory. Oh, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> who, did he, who did he see? Elon Musk. <laughs> did he? Fuck. Did he, he did. really? <laughs> <laughs> I was probably with Little May. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, he said he turned and he saw Elon Musk making out with his girlfriend. Oh, he told us that. Yeah, I remember hearing this story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What an anecdote that would have been. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to wrap up slightly differently then, we've spoken a lot about how the way that you, you know, you'll kind of get through things and you might take a weight off your shoulders is by writing. Does Is writing almost now part of your approach to tackling situations? Do you almost approach situations as much as a human as a writer and try and use it to work your way through things now? Honestly, in the last in the last sort of uh, COVID, <laughs> last year and a half or whatever, I've really tried to strip the ident like strip my identity of being a musician and try and figure out who I am without that. So I think my process now is to sort of just figure out the things that make me happy. So a lot of that is exercise and doing lots of nice things for myself like uh eating eating healthily and meditating and spending lots of time in nature and a part of that part of that is writing not so much um music so i try to step away from it but writing writing thoughts and 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 feelings so yeah i think writing writing words is very 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 powerful so is writing music but yeah i think recently i've yeah tried to skip so much on the music thing just to just to just for a little break to be a full person be a person without that identity were you surprised when you stripped away at what you found very very surprised i think um it's really important learning to be be okay with myself without without the attachment of having this music goal and and drive and you know it, it's all it's all we've done as as adults you know so it's it's it was it's scary to it's scary to not be attached to that but it's also it's also really fulfilling to not be attached to it as well i feel like i've come come back at it with so much more vigor and as was spoken about so much more openness and sensitivity to it all which yeah it's i think that's really important it's allowed me to connect with what connect with what we do like on a whole different level hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 